Hey, welcome to night school, the day after Thursday. Just another day after Thursday. And what I'm thinking about today, it relates to what I've talked about before, about how the internet has bridged a cultural gap between kids and their parents that wasn't there before. Where kids and parents are looking at much more of the same things and consuming a lot of the same media. Not totally. You know, I know kids will always find their own little avenues. They have their own little places to go, even in this new online world. But in general, I mean, parents and children are looking at the same information at a rate that far exceeds what, you know, for example, me and my parents were looking at when I was growing up. And, you know, if you look at them, their interests aren't that different. It's like I always talk about, you know, the amount of dads you see wearing Legend of Zelda shirts. You know, it's like my dad, who doesn't even have the internet now, or I guess he, he I mean, his, you know, my stepmom and uh, sister might have the internet, but my dad does not use the internet. But he would occasionally play Tetris on Game Boy when I was growing up. Uh, he was a, he was a gamer. My dad was a gamer, uh, but uh, no, he, he would occasionally play Tetris. It was intuitive. He thought it was kind of cool. That was it. But you know, nowadays, dads who are my peers, you know, I'm 34, and dads who are in their 30s and 40s, one of their main hobbies is video games for many of them, and if they have a son, if they have a daughter for that matter, uh, you know, what are they into? They're into video games too, and if they get online, the chances are they're consuming many of the same things, and it's especially true for information, and with that in mind, with the idea that the internet has bridged this gap as far as, you know, cultural media goes, as far as what parents and their children are consuming... It's especially true when you go outside of just like the idea of a, like a child and their parents, and you go outside of that and you just look at the entire culture, you can see where older people believe they are more relevant now than ever. Not to say that they, there wasn't a point in time where in history, I mean throughout all of history, where older people continue to think they're relevant and try to be relevant. I mean, if you look at pictures from the 1970s, you'll see old men then wearing leisure suits with a side part in their hair and sideburns, and it's embarrassing looking because you know that that guy adopted that style as it became trendy. Like when you see an old man, you know, in a photo album from the 1970s, and he's got the hip style, there's something embarrassing about it because he thinks he's relevant. And so people have always tried to stay relevant. People have always feared aging. People have always wanted to be into some of the same things that younger people are into. But it's easier for them to do that now. And because it's easier for them to do that now, they actually trick themselves into relevance uh, in a way that wasn't possible earlier. Because the reality is nobody's relevant. The reality is nobody's relevant. Uh, you know, everybody's tricking themselves into relevance. Young people are tricking themselves into relevance because it's actually no less embarrassing 
for a 25-year-old man in 1977 to adopt the current fashion than it is for an old man. It just stands out more because we associate that fashion and that style with a younger crowd. And maybe there's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, maybe there's nothing to be ashamed of when you get whatever haircut everybody else you know is getting. You know, maybe there was nothing to be ashamed of seven years ago when you saw guys shaving the sides of their head and like slicking the the top into a pompadour and you were like, that's a good haircut. That's going to get me laid. And you got that haircut. You know, maybe there's nothing embarrassing about that. Um, You know, I'm not I'm not into the idea of just needlessly bashing people for doing things, even though I do that. I, but I don't like that I do it, and so I'm hesitant to go too far with that. But I guess I'm a little more comfortable with ideas. And that was really the reason I, I started talking about this today, is that right now, older people are able to be way more current when it comes to political and social ideas. And you can see now where older liberals who are actually quite conservative by today's leftist standards. You know, they there was a, a real shock for many of them, I, and I know a lot of them. I know a lot of older generations of leftists, and by older generations, I would even start with Gen X, but definitely go into the baby boomers, and say that they were in for a shock when they found out what their so-called political allies actually believed in. Because it was certainly not what they thought they were voting for when they voted for Bill Clinton and um, Barack Manil Obama, Barry Manil Obama. You know, it's certainly not what they thought they were voting for. I mean, even, you know... I don't even need to go into all the details of that, but just that they they were in for a shock a few years ago when they realized what their their side is, you know, putting on a pedestal. And many of them went along with it. They are going along with it because they want to be relevant. Some of them probably agree with it. Some of them have probably, you know, done some sort of thinking about it. But many of them are afraid of being irrelevant. And they feel more relevant than ever because they're connected to all of the same things that the youth are. And the amazing thing, the most ingenious thing about leftism is the way that it attached itself to youth culture and the arts. And in particular, music and um yeah, really any creativity. I mean, Hollywood, it's not even just subversive underground music. It's also the most mainstream art that people consume, TV and movies. You know, the dominance of leftism in virtually all of the arts, from the underground to the mainstream, which to me don't even really exist anymore because of the ease of access to each of them now the ease of access to both underground media and mainstream media are so similar now that I don't even know that it's worth making a distinction. And I'm mainstream. 
the fact that you can listen to my show, you know, this easily on this many platforms, anywhere you go, not that you do, not that you do listen to my show, but just the fact that at any point, as long as you have an internet connection, you can listen to my show. That makes this a mainstream platform. This 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 show is. Um, I'm not going to make comparisons. I was going to compare it to talk shows, but uh, you know that, that you know as much as I like the idea of this being some sort of pirate radio. The only thing that would make it pirate radio is the fact that it has relatively few listeners, and by relatively few, I mean very few. Uh, but the only thing that would make this some sort of underground radio is the fact that it has a small audience. Other than that, it, it's really as accessible as anything else. And uh, so the idea that you know there is some sort of underground, and that's a term that people don't completely understand, and I'm not going to give a history lesson here, but it really applies to the philosophy behind making and creating things more than it does. Because growing up, you know, there used to be this thing that kids would say, because you know, you'd get into music in high school, let's say, and you know, I always gravitated toward obscure things. And at that point, it wasn't like it was that. It wasn't like I was digging that deep. But it's still, I mean, I, I was into stuff that my peers weren't into. And people would make a joke to me if I didn't like something. If someone was like, oh, you know, uh, you really got to listen to the Deftons. The Deftons. I, and I was like, ah, I'm, I'm not interested. You know, someone would be like, oh, are they not underground enough for you? Are the Deftones not underground enough for you? You know, people would kind of take that approach as if, like, my taste was based around whether something was, quote-unquote, underground or not. And the way they meant that was basically, like, I don't want to like anything that has a following or that's popular. And if you're oppositionally defiant... You know, of course, I'm not diagnosably oppositionally defiant. I'm actually quite compliant when it comes to rules. But when you do have this, like, you know, this rebel inside of you, yeah, there is something that's going to make you skeptical when something does have a huge audience. Like, there is something that's going to kind of turn you away because... As I've explained on the episode, The Endless Pursuit of Jewels, we always want to think that we're finding some kind of jewel. So I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny that I enjoy digging and I like the feeling that I'm the first one. I'm one of the few. You know, we like feelings of ex exclusivity. There's a reason why people go to country clubs. There's a reason why people buy limited edition records. There's a reason why... You know, people don't get invited to every party. There's a reason why you don't invite all of your classmates to your birthday party, and it's not just because you don't have the resources to host them. It's because you don't want some people there. You want some exclusivity. You like certain people more. And so I'm not going to deny that there's a part of my taste that is, you know, that is based around the fact that I like I like the air of of obscurity. It's, it's like the air is fresher sometimes when something is obscure. That doesn't make it good or bad, but it adds to the experience in some intangible way. And I don't even think it's that intangible, and I don't think it's wrong to think that way. And, and like I said, everybody kind of 
everybody kind of does that in their own way. Everybody is pursuing some sort of jewel that they can say is theirs. It's why someone says, oh, check out this hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Nobody knows about the best burrito place in town. Don't tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody about my favorite Italian restaurant. Excuse me, somebody with that accent would never go to an Italian restaurant. Somebody with, the, with that accent, they would never eat Italian food. Uh, let me correct that, too. I'm not going to tell anybody about my favorite Italian restaurant. It's called Italia. It's in, a, it's in the mall, you know. It's, it, but there's, people do it with everything. They do it with everything. I mean, there used to be this thing that I, it's probably old hat now, but there used to be this thing like when guys would talk about girls, which has never been my favorite conversation. Like it was kind of fun at sleepovers to talk about, you know, your celebrity crushes or something. But in general, I don't really like sitting there being like, well, you know what I like about this girl is I, I like her raven colored hair. What do you like in a woman? Like, there's some. I don't want to sit there with my male friends and just talk about like what I like about a given woman. But you know, it happens. And something I remember years ago, probably like mid two thousands, is guys would go like, "Well, I actually like redhead girls with freckles," and it was meant to be different. And they probably do like those girls. They probably are attracted to red-haired girls with freckles, but it wasn't typical. And the way that people would say it was as if it was it was a jewel to them and and not that the girls themselves were a jewel to them which they might have been but it was like saying i like this thing that you guys don't like and i'm proud and it, i don't know somebody hopefully somebody listening will know what i mean by that but it was just something guys would say and and it was it was meant to be you could just tell it was meant to be like going against the grain I've never heard a woman say that. I've never heard a woman say, and I, you know, I, I have female friends, of course. Give me an award. Where's my award uh, for having female friends? But you know, I, they'll talk about men, which is again like not a f- conversation I like. Like even if you have a completely platonic, well-established friendship, and there's no weird tension, I don't really want to hear a lot about guys that women I know like or any of that like there it's just what am I your fucking hairdresser you know but I don't like to talk to men about women very much either it has its time and place but you know point being everything's got to have an aside but uh point being you know I've never heard a woman sit there and say well I actually like guys who are ginger with freckers you know I've never heard them say that and it's not to say women aren't attracted to that obviously they some are those men pass their genes on. Those men donate their their DKNY genes that are then accepted by the thrift store. But no, but I don't know. It's men have a have a greater I think men ha, are more likely to go against the grain in their pursuit of jewels, which is a, a study that needs to happen. 
We have these studies I talked about recently where it's like we've discovered that water, it's wet, but it evaporates. So we can't say that water is totally wet. We donate billion, drillion, a drillion dollars to that. Let's do a study on why men go against the grain more often than women in their endless pursuit of jewels. Why a man wants to say, oh, you guys are all sitting there going after your big boob blondes. I like girls with uh, small boobs and red hair and freckles. Because I'm different. It's the same thing that makes men adventurers. You know, it's the same impulse. Um, but uh, it's funny, I'm not talking about what I was going to talk about, but that's been, I know that's probably an annoying thing I say in every episode now, so just who cares. Uh, but, uh, you know, men just have this like stronger desire to express that, you know, and uh, I like, you know what, I like girls with uh, shaved heads and you can just barely see the stubble sticking out, but they got to have blue eyes. You know, and they're they're Buddhist Republican. They're they're Buddhist Republican. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. But any anyway, I was talking about relevance, and oh yeah, just the way that leftism has managed to dominate the arts, and how you know there's really no distinction between mainstream and underground anymore because you know there's still a philosophy yeah there's still people who make things for a limited audience that isn't going to have mass appeal there's still people who produce cassettes and records that are limited in number that are played in a style that isn't going to appeal to most people out in the world and so there is a philosophy to that and there's people you know and I have, I have friends like this and I even veer this way sometimes, but it's like there are a lot of people, too, who are like these pseudo-modern Luddites who are like, you know, I'm not going to, even though I was born in the 80s, I'm not going to be one of these internet people. And you end up becoming the old lady who still has a, her old house, but it's surrounded on every side by a brand new shopping mall because she wouldn't sell. You know, you end up be, becoming Ted Kaczynski with a flip phone surrounded by people with smartphones and if you think that you're going to escape modernity and technology uh you know next thing you know you're going to be mailing a bomb to a computer salesman just like him that's what happens when you i mean that's that's the end result of this pseudo luddite way of thinking where it's just like i'm not going to do it it's it's a jewel unto itself that's one of the jewels is the idea of rejecting modernity while being a product of it being a tv baby being part of the internet generation and saying i'm gonna take a stand and not be like my peers because i think analog media is better and like i said i'm i'm into that stuff too but i also it, it's a balance where i don't reject it entirely and i don't want to make that my god you know i don't i don't like the idea of making analog media my God, my God, you know, just because there's some, because there, I don't know, it just, it just feels like a false idol. And 
some people are that way. It's like, look at my VHS collection. Look at my record collection. It's better than your MP3 collection. And then next thing you know, my MP3 collection is better than your streaming service. Oh, you only listen to music on streaming services? Well, I have an MP3 collection. I have individual files that I can listen to that I have to choose. And I have them in a folder. You know, it's a, it, things just go in that direction. I mean, there, I guarantee you when records were invented, when the phonograph record was invented, I guarantee you there was somebody who was like, no, music should be played live. Music should be played live. And they only wanted to hear live music. And they thought that records were, were some sort of departure from the inherent value of experiencing music in person. And then records became the standard. And the people who said that records shouldn't exist died. They just died. And one, it was just in one big moment. It was like the rapture. No, but those people, you know, gradually their attitude changed. They understood that it's kind of cool to be able to just to listen to music by yourself without some narcissistic musician in the room posing, playing on, pl strumming stringed instruments in front of you, the horror of that. Uh, no, but they, they people realized, oh, look, this is cool to be able to listen to what I want, when I want. And then, you know, new technology came out of tapes. It's like, well, well tapes don't sound as good. You got to rewind them, blah, blah, blah. There was somebody who, every time there's something new, there's there are people who you know, become these Luddites who are like, I oppose this. And for me, all of these things have value. You know, to me, like, I'm, I'm of the opinion, and I'm not trying to one-up anybody, but it's like, I'm of the opinion that, like, I like records, I like tapes, I like CDs, I like MP3s. I don't really use any of these, like, quote-unquote streaming services, but I'll pull things up on my computer all the time, probably more often than not these days. I mean, definitely more often than not. Who am I trying to kid? If I just want to hear something and I know it's available online, if I want to, you know, if I'm just doing stuff around the house, I'm going to probably pull it up online at this point. But that said, I value every, every medium, you know, whether it's analog or digital. And I do think there's something to be said for the analog. I think that's actually the preferable way to present sound art, whether it's music or, or, you know, just any kind of sonic expression to me is best presented with artwork and something you can hold. I think that's preferable, but I'm not attached to it. And um, I don't think that something's value depends on that. I don't think the value of art depends on that sort of material object, although that's a part of it, and, and it's preferable. And where material art becomes especially important, owning a physical copy becomes especially important in the face of censorship, where things are now getting pulled offline. You know, music, music that's considered subversive will get pulled down. Anything. You know, it could be anything. Uh, there's movies that aren't available. You know, you saw where, like, Gone with the Wind got pulled down, like the most famous movie ever. When this moral panic started a few months ago, there was something, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but 
there was something to do with Gone with the Wind not being available on Hulu or something, which just sounds like gibberish. I mean, that, that gets back into, you know, my stupid future point from the original Every Night's a School Night, where it's like just the language. I'm really disturbed by the language. Pulled, it got taken off of Hulu. I found out on Google. But Lady Gaga is still available. Le- you know, I was listening to Lady Gaga, Lady Lady Google, but I, I, was, I was listening to Lady Gaga while I Googled whether or not Gone with the Wind was pulled off of Hulu. The only respectable phrase in that entire sentence is Gone with the Wind, and yet that's the thing that is controversial. You know, it just shows you a lot as far as, you know, just words have value. I mean, if you say a word and it sounds stupid to you, try to avoid it. And if you have to eventually accept it, I mean, I've explained a million times on this show, like I eventually came around to the word selfie because I knew there was really no other synonym that people will easily understand. Uh, But, um, you know, eventually, you know, I mean, you might end up having to use a word that sounds stupid. Like, I mean, I have to say Google. I think Google is just the fact that the most insidious big brother, remember that phrase, uh, the most insidious, you know, sort of big brother style corporation uses a baby sound for its name, says it all to me. That says it all as far as the way things mask themselves. I mean, a recent episode was about, you know, wolves in sheep clo- sheep's clothing. You know, and it's, it's just that idea. Like, of course, the most, you know, in movies, it's always like the most sinister sort of, you know, big brother sci-fi surveillance cyborg security corporation. It always has something like Omnicorp. Here at Omnicorp, we respect your your privacy and safety. Meanwhile, they're sending cyborgs to surveil you and kill you. And that's for the movies. You know, in the movies, it's always going to be Omnicorp, the company that sounds like a company that's stealing your rights and trying to kill you. Meanwhile, in real life, it's Google. Oh, I just love Google. Oh, and they have all these liberal values? And that's exactly it. You know, it's these companies are part of it as well. And I guess we're getting back on topic here. Because the thing is, it's like leftism has ingeniously ingrained itself in what's current and what's cool. And in the same way that 10 years ago, you'd hear older people say, Oh, are you taking a selfie to let you know that they know the current language? You know, because it's like, oh, I know. I saw Ellen take a selfie, and now I know the word, and I can say it to my grandchild, and they'll know that I'm hip. And with this kind of irony to it, where we know that grandma's not hip, but she knows selfie, so it's funny, you know... Hopefully that makes sense. Kind of like the red-haired girl. People's fetish for red-haired girls in the year 2004. Kind of like that, um, That all oh, that, what a crazy, can you believe this? Can you believe it, that this guy has a fetish for red-haired girls? Oh my God, I've never heard of it. 
It's almost like nobody's married a red-haired girl in, throughout the entire history of man. Where did these? Where did all these red-haired people come from? Anyway, but you know, old people they would adopt. They will. They still do. They'll adopt. You know, newer slang. It's why. It's like somebody's mom was probably driving them and their friends to school four years ago and said, oh, yeah, this song is fire. And the kids are like, oh, mom knows the, the new slang. Mom said fire. You know, and some mom probably learned that like the second she saw her kids say it because they're all consuming the same stuff today. You know, I think that, you know, parents are way more quick to adapt today if they want to. And many of them do want to. Because there were always parents who tried to dress hip. There were always moms who went shopping with their daughters and bought the same clothes. You know, there were always, uh, you know, people who just wanted to stay current in some way. And as the sociopolitical climate has become more intense and... It's more obvious than ever that leftism is youth. And it's and there's always been those cliche phrases like, oh, you know, uh, you start out a leftist and then you get older and become con- more conservative. I can't remember what this, the actual quote is, but there's always that idea where, oh, you... When you're when you're a young idealist, you you're a liberal, and when you're older, you're a, when you're older and uh, wiser, you're a conservative or whatever. And sure, there's always those young people who are like, "I agree with Grandpa," you know, and that's annoying too. It's a, it's annoying to me too. You know, I know this show is often just rants about leftism, uh, but. Uh, the right wing equivalent to me is is the kid, the young Republican, who's like, I agree with whatever Grandpa says. I agree with Grandpa. You know, there is that type of kid who's never gone out on his own at all. He's never he's never tested the waters for himself, and so he has this idea of like tradition is what matters. Meanwhile, he's never even. He doesn't understand why tradition does matter because he's never done anything to test it. I think, you know, I've become more traditional after testing the other waters. And it's the same reason why I appreciate certain rules because I've broken so many damn rules. Not that I'm even the biggest troublemaker or rule breaker, but I've broken enough rules to understand the value of them. And uh, I think you have to do that to some degree. I think you have to break certain rules to understand the value. Yeah, not murder. You know, you don't have to you don't have to kill somebody to understand. Oh, I had to kill somebody to understand why there's a law and commandment against moita. You know, you don't have to do that. There's some that you can just understand why they're bad, but there are smaller rules that I feel you have to break in order to better understand why that rule exists and why it needs to be reinforced through law. And but but young conservatives often come across like people who have never, never strayed. They they you know they never they just stayed on Grandpa's lap their entire life, you know. And uh, those people need to exist too. You know, I think all these people need to exist to create the balance that we need. 
it's not that I ever feel that one should dominate the entire culture, which is what they try to do, and that's why I have a problem. And right now, it certainly doesn't just feel like it's it's the truth. the The reality is is that the left is trying to dominate the culture at a far more rapid rate than the right. But I felt this way in the first decade of the 2000s during the Bush era when the fundamentalist right was doing the same thing. You know, it's funny to look back on, you know, conservative fundamentalists trying to ban mainstream rock albums from Walmart and succeeding at it. It's funny to look back on that, but at the time it, it was sinister. And the left is trying to do similar things based on what doesn't meet their standard of acceptable discourse is just as much of a problem. So you can see where when people are on one end or the other, there's this desire to snuff the other side out. And, uh, you know, and I, I, like the people who are the most extreme about it scare me less because they're so obvious like the like the the people i know like the coworker who was was always going on about all of the latest leftist talking points you know 6 years ago like she's stayed consistent but it's the people who want to be relevant and hip and don't realize that it's coming from a desire to be cool that they're willing to accept some of the talking points and actions of the modern left. And it's true for a lot of older people. A lot of older people who have suddenly changed their tune. You know, there are older people who, in the same way that grandma used the word selfie five years ago in an attempt to show her grandchildren that she's current, and that some soccer mom called a song fire to show her teenage daughter's friends that she's current. You know, there's a bunch of these older leftists who are wanting to communicate that they are part of the youth culture. And I don't know that they realize they're doing it. They probably feel that what they're doing is right. And maybe I'm being a mind reader. Maybe I'm just, how dare I read these people's minds? They're right. They're morally, politically, ethically correct on everything. How dare I assume their intentions? How dare I I assume that they have some subconscious desire to attach themselves to a political movement that has brainwashed the world into believing it's what is new and current Meanwhile, it's not. It's just done a very good job at communicating that. And I give it props. And I talk about it like it's not fueled by people. Like it's, and I, I talk about it in the same way that I criticize people for talking about society. Like it's some, you know, abstract, you know, like it's some something that exists outside of us when it's like, no, we created society. Society didn't create us. And it's like people created this far-left ideology. 
it didn't create them, but then it it cycles back around. The feedback loop comes back around, and then it does influence people. It's created by people, but it cycles back around, and it you know it intensifies the beliefs of the people who already believe in it, and then it adds more people to its ranks. And this goes on in the right wing as well. You know, there were a lot of people who became far more conservative and fundamentalist friendly after 9-11. There were a couple dads in my neighborhood. You know, I was like 16 around that time. And there were a couple dads in my neighborhood who were just kind of boring, middle-of-the-road dudes. Like, probably smoked pot in college. Listened to rock music in the 60s. They were probably Beatles fans or something. And then... In the wake of 9-11, they started going to church and, you know, they got on this pro-Bush kick. And uh, it's not even about whether that's right or wrong. It was just they, that seemed, something, something sucked them into that. And it was kind of embarrassing to see it. And maybe I shouldn't feel that way. Maybe that's condescending in the same way it's condescending to to say that older leftists, you know, are going along with the program in a desire to be hip and cool. But I feel that I'm good at, re- at recognizing that. You know, to my credit, I feel that I'm very good at recognizing people's desire to be liked and cool. And I don't feel that it's emphasized enough. Especially since, you know, the, the talking, not, not talking point, but like the, the kind of catchphrase that's been more prevalent in the last 15 or 20 years has been not, it's been, I'm through being cool, which is itself an expression of trying to be cool. You know, I'm through being cool is saying, I'm more cool by not caring about being cool, but I'm still caring about being cool. And that's been more the, that's been the mantra, you know, I feel like in recent years, in the last couple decades, it's been this like, oh, I don't care about being cool. Meanwhile, every action and behavior is somehow an attempt to be cool. And I don't, I don't feel very cool saying this, to be honest. I don't feel that cool pointing out other people's desire to be cool. But it's important to remember, and when a certain sociopolitical belief system has been completely attached to the idea of youth, modernity, in what's entertaining, what's artistically valid, you can see where a lot of what will fuel people is that desire to be just to be accepted, to be liked. And it will lead older people, you know, and and older people have an easier time becoming that now. I mean, I I went on a date. I mean, it wasn't a date. I was, I was involved with this girl for a little while. Uh, You know, it's been a while, maybe like uh, less than a decade, I guess. But uh, I met her dad once. We went to dinner with her dad and uh, during the conversation, he said something came up. I don't remember what it was. Uh, I do, but it doesn't even matter. But something something prompted him to say, well, you know, uh, he kind of got quiet. 
And he said, well, uh, you know, I don't think uh, socialism's such a bad idea. Well, you know what, if you ask me, uh, I don't think socialism's such a bad idea, huh? And I could tell that he was trying to get me, he was trying to let me know that he was cool. And I, I didn't, it was awkward because I didn't say anything. I just kind of looked at him. And I, I thought about, like, what should I say? Because I, I don't agree with, with you at all. <laughs> and I knew that, like, saying, hey, you know, I don't, I don't really agree. And I, I think that some of the thing, I, what I could have said is I could have said, well, I think some of the ideas that you brand socialism are just intuitive parts of existing in a, in a society and culture. And don't you dare say that, that Sweden's social programs are an example of some sort of far-left socialism, because many of those Swedish social programs were put in place centuries ago, because that's what communities do. Oh, Sweden's healthcare system? Read about the plagues that hit Scandinavia in the 1700s and how they developed a primitive form of those social healthcare programs in response to that. And guess what didn't exist then? Communism, socialism. Those were, you know, don't, don't use this revisionism where you say that every, everything people have done to help each other, every system that has been put in place within a community or society to help other people that aren't you, to say that that's all some sort of socialist or communist you know, philosophy or, or some sort of branch of that ideology, it's dishonest revisionism. Because people have been doing that. The only reason we exist is because we have thought about the collective sometimes. And it's usually best when we think about the collective, but not at the expense of the individual. So if I really wanted to respond to, you know, this girl's dad, I would have said that. I would have said, well, you know, explain what you mean by socialism. Because a lot of the things that seem like intuitive acceptable socialism are actually just a part of what everybody does, even conservatives. It's like, do conservatives not help their family members? Do conservatives never do anything good for their community? Of course they do. Of course they give money to people that they're related to. Of course they help friends out. They're not all Scrooge McDuck. You know, they might like to dive into their money bin... But who wouldn't? You know, who doesn't like to dive into the money bin? And like the modern, you know, the, the real life version of Scrooge diving into his money bin, of course, is like checking your online banking account, which is less exciting. Like it's less exciting to imagine Scrooge McDuck checking his online banking account. But he would do that to prove his relevance. Scrooge McDuck would try to show his nephews that he is young at heart by, by just casually saying, well, you know, uh, I got an online banking account now. He doesn't, yeah, that's how he sounds. I was just going to, I was going to try to do a Scottish accent like Scrooge McDuck, but no thanks. No thank you. That's a no on the Scottish accent, but, uh, Scrooge McDuck proves his, his, Connection to the modern world by logging into an online banking account every five seconds. Because that's the, the modern equivalent of diving into your big money bin of coins. But, um, 
but yeah, the, just the girl's dad, you know, just, I could tell that he was trying to prove to me that he was cool. And I think he, I don't, I don't think that he was lying. You know, he was, he wasn't, I know that he wasn't lying about, you know, I, I, uh, I don't, th- I don't think socialism's such a bad idea. He said it like in this conspiratorial tone, but I could tell that he was trying to be like, I'm cool. I want my daughter's boyfriend to think I'm cool because I'm meeting him for the first time and only time it turned out. Turned out that relationship didn't last. Um, probably because I didn't respond with something. Probably because I, I that girl probably felt really weird that her dad was kind of like putting himself out there hush hush telling me that he doesn't think socialism is a bad idea and I just thought about what to say and said nothing you know that the, you know a relationship's doomed in that moment cuz that's worse than me just being like well actually I don't I don't agree with you at least that would be you know a conversation it's worse when you just say nothing. But, uh, you know, silence is violence. I committed an act of violence against my then-girlfriend's dad. I mean, he just threw himself out there. I mean, he martyred himself by letting me know that he's sympathetic with communist values. And he played in band, like he played in a punk band. That's the thing, like, I knew that shit was getting weird when I dated a girl who was younger than me, whose dad had played in a punk band, and not, like, some serious, like, studded, spiked, mohawked punk band, but just kind of like a group of goofballs who were, like, in their 20s in the 80s or something, in the early 80s, you know, it was like that kind of thing. I don't even know, I don't even know what they were all about, but... Like, you know, like, yeah, it's it's like when you're dating a girl and her dad played in some something resembling a punk band and he drops the hint that he doesn't think socialism's such a bad idea. What a young, hip guy. And, I, you know, he was fine. He was nice. He was nice. But uh, it's not even about kicking him in the kicking him in the shins. <laughs> Just kicking him in the shins. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, and that guy actually, you know, he was a little more, uh, he was ahead of the curve because at that point in time, like what, like 2011, whatever year it was, you were more likely to find an adult trying to be hip by, as if I wasn't an adult, I was like 25, but 26, but, uh, you know, you were more likely to find an adult being like, well, I was there in the sixties. You know, I, I was there, like, like you were more likely to find a an older leftist resting on their, like, 60s laurels. They were more likely to rest on their prior credibility as, like, a pseudo-hippie. Not, I went to Woodstock, but I remember Woodstock. Because that was a whole... Because that was something that you could rest on. That's and that's how things have changed. Is that if you were an older leftist in well, you know, the last up until the last few years, you could just say, "Oh, I was a hippie in the '60s," 
And that would be enough. You wouldn't really need to say more than that. It would just be assumed, oh, you're cool. Oh, you're one of the, you're one of the elders of our movement. And chances are you would be in agreement with the younger generation of leftists. Being a hippie in the 60s and then becoming kind of a moderate Democrat in the 90s and 2000s with kids, you probably would have most of your values in common and the few values that were different probably weren't going to be a big deal. But now we live in a time where being a moderate Democrat by the 90s and early 2000s standards makes you conservative. And so, you know, what do you do? Conservative, conservatism isn't cool. And not only is it not cool, but hey, guys, conservatism is fascism. It'd be cool if that girl's dad back then back before everybody was, like, throwing the word fascism out, if in 2011 that girl's dad said, hey, uh, just between us, uh, I don't think fascism is such a bad idea. <laughs> um, that'd be fun. But, uh, you know, it's like now that anything, whether it's truly conservative or not, anything that gets labeled conservative, people don't even, I mean, people don't even... Uh, People don't even stick to the argument of, like, conservatism is bad. They just go straight to fascism. If you believe anything that I don't believe, you're a fascist. And this is kind of an annoying topic because you hear it talked about so much. But, uh, you know, it's just become, it's basically a way of saying everything that's not cool, everything that's not cool is fascist. If you're not cool, you're a fascist. That is essentially the argument that is taking place right now. And older, aging liberals, moderate Democrats hear that. They hear, not cool makes me a fascist. And they go running in the opposite direction. They either double down and they're like, you know, uh, well, not double down. They they either... um, they go running one direction or the other. And they double down trying to prove their relevance at that point. Even though most of these ideas are brand new to them. Like all of these older Democrat voting baby boomers had no idea that these conversations about race and gender were taking place under the surface for the past 10 years. And five years ago, they got a glimpse of it. Four years ago, they got a glimpse of it. And more recently, they've had to catch up very quickly. But they've had the greatest tool available to do so, which is they are consuming the same media that the young people are consuming. They are using the same platforms. They have access to the same exact media that the young people do. And even if they're looking at slightly different things, it manages to proliferate. You know, the, the same ideas manage to proliferate because they're looking at the same things. They're all watching Netflix. And they all have a desire to be relevant. The youth have a desire to be relevant. Because as I said, it's not that older people are somehow more false or somehow more embarrassing in their attempt to be relevant. It's actually maybe more embarrassing that the youth themselves are continually trying to prove their relevance because simply being young is the definition of relevance. They're fresh. 
and they don't realize that that gives them a full range of motion. So in many ways, it's worse that there are young people trying to prove that they are cool. You know, in many ways, that's worse than the older people. But with the older people, it's just unfortunate because there was less pressure on them in the past. They could rest on their laurels a little more. They could, they could you know, be like, well, I, I still listen to this stuff. And now you have old people who are like, well, I was listening to Cardi B the other day and, uh, you know, reading about genderqueer theory. And, you know, it's not that the other side is cool either. You know, and I, I hate that I feel like I have to be like, there's a, ba- there's a balance here. There's right-wing people I don't like, too. I, I hate that I have to point that out, but it kind of, you know, it gets back into the Ted Kaczynski thing, where if you've read the Unabomber Manifesto, I always thought it was very funny how he goes on this very long and detailed critique of leftism. And then he, and then he gets to the right-wing, and he's like, I don't even need to explain what's wrong with the right-wing. Not that I don't have some conservative sympathies, sure. Not that I don't, I don't have some conservative beliefs. Not that I don't value tradition in my own way. But it, the things that are wrong with conservatism, I guess they're, they're more apparent to me. And because conservative, conservatism is now synonymous with being uncool, and being uncool is now synonymous with fascism... I guess I feel less of a need to defend it. Or, or sorry, I guess I, I feel less of a need to uh, attack it. You know, and so it's it's just, it seems like when something has been made synonymous with being uncool in culture, I guess I... I I do have a little more sympathy for it when it comes to discussions like this. I mean, it's kind of like the I, the marijuana prohibition. You know, I was telling a friend last night how when weed was legal, I w- or sorry, when we I'm just losing my words left and right. When weed was illegal, when weed was illegal, I was hesitant to talk about its downsides because I didn't want to contribute to the prohibition. I felt that if I were to talk about my extensive experience with weed, even in a fair and balanced way, because there's a reason why weed was my favorite substance for years, and there's a reason why I don't demonize it, because it does have a lot of value. But I have a fair and balanced approach, and because I use marijuana so extensively, I can tell you all the things that's wrong with it. And I'm not going to do that today, and I've done it before. But when it was illegal, I didn't feel like I could do that. I didn't feel like I could criticize weed because I didn't want to contribute to the prohibition. But now that it's completely legal, now that anybody in my state can go and buy it at any time, I feel like I can talk more openly about the things that aren't so good about weed, of which there are many. I mean, it would, have been, it, would have been, it would have been the same thing with alcohol prohibition. If I were alive in the 1930s, and who's saying I wasn't? But if I were alive in the 1920s, up until like whatever year it was, 1931, whenever prohibition was repealed, 
I would be hesitant to criticize alcohol during those years. If, if this was 1926, I would be hesitant to criticize alcohol openly because I think it should be illegal. And I say this as a, a former drunk who doesn't drink anymore. You know, I would be upset if they banned alcohol right now. And I wouldn't criticize alcohol as openly as I do. I don't know that I do. <laughs> I don't know that I openly criticize alcohol. I just talk about why I don't drink. But, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when something, is, it, when something doesn't have a voice, I don't want to do anything to contribute to that censorship or suppression or prohibition. And as certain ideas that are associated with conservatism become more and more uncool, and not simply uncool, but censored and suppressed, I feel that criticizing that contributes to the suppression. And if if things reached a point where I felt that leftism was being censored or you know, those ideas weren't allowed on public platforms or people weren't allowed to think those thoughts without getting mentally and physically attacked, you know, I would be less likely to criticize them as openly. Um, And I guess I also just don't like to see people's... I don't like to see people blow in the wind. And I see a lot more people blowing in the in the, the wind that comes from the left than I do from the right. And, uh, you know, and like, I, like I've said, you know, I don't like the, the 16-year-old boy who just goes, I think the same things Grandpa thinks. And I'm going to join the Future Business Leaders of America Club at my high school. My high school. You know, I don't relate to that kid, and I, I don't think that kid has a great perspective on life, <laughs> which is really harsh. I don't, I don't think that kid has a great perspective on life, even though he's alive. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I don't relate to that point of view either. But I guess because I have such a history of being entangled with leftism through creativity and just virtually everybody I know, maybe there is a a stronger level of, maybe I feel that I have to give more pushback, but it's not just me needing to be a rebel and doing that. It's because I know what I don't like about it. And when I see the wind blowing more and more people in that direction, I see the things that I don't like about it being amplified and gaining greater influence, but unchecked you know, it's it's unchecked in terms of uh, not power, but it's you know it's unchecked influence because it's based around this moral superiority and you know newsflash. But everybody who believes anything believes that it is morally righteous, and that is true for history. And when people talk about being on the right side of history. You know, people don't look back at random unnamed people and and go like people don't look at their grandpa and go, "Oh, he was on the right side of history." I mean, you're luck you're lucky if people even remember you past that point. Your great-grandchildren might not even know your name. And you're you're worried about being on the right side of history. 
Think about being on the right side of right now, the present moment. And of course, people would say that's what they're doing. They're saying by being on the right side of history, they're doing the right thing right now, and history will look back kindly on them, which is a very narcissistic way of thinking. But, you know, I understand the logic. Um, but anyway, this was a very political episode, and I guess that was the intention mainly about how older people have been blown by that wind that's coming from the left. That westward wind has blown them further in the direction that I don't think they knew they were heading in, but part of it's a desire to be liked and to be cool. And you think about this, too, just to get back to the original point of the episode, you know, the social currency for young and old people is more similar now than it ever was. And part of that is because they're using many of the same platforms. Like when I was a young kid, teenager on the internet, and I went to message boards, it was very unlikely that you were going to be on the same message board as a 65-year-old. Yeah, there were like when I was like 16, there were 25, 30-year-olds depending on the interest, maybe people even in their 40s, I don't know. But it was very unlikely that you were going to be exchanging ideas on the same platform as somebody who was not just one generation older, but multiple generations older. And you weren't talking on instant messenger to people either. You know, you weren't using these same... You weren't using the Internet's platforms, even though it gave people greater connectivity then... You know, it was still, you were far more likely to interact within your peer group. But now the peer group has expanded and it's multi-generational and all people of all ages, like in the same way that I was talking about recently, how it's unfair when people say, oh, that's so high school. That's so high school. Oh, you're gossiping? That's so high school. Guess what? People gossip their entire lives. And to say that like popularity contests and gossip are some sort of high school age mentality. Well, shit, man. That's unfair. While high schoolers do that, you know, you're not going to escape it. Every workplace, every, you know, every group of people is going to be doing that one way or another. And if they're smart people, they'll, they'll find a way to mask it, but they will still do it. And so what happens when multiple generations of people are using the same platforms to express themselves and to exchange ideas and take in ideas. And not just we're not just talking about like discussing intellectual ideas. We're talking about music. We're talking about all things. People get, people go on the internet and they talk about you know movies, TV shows they're watching, what they believe politically. It's all of the above and it's all in one. And, of course, people are going to want to be liked. People of all ages are going to want to be liked. There's actually a little like button, you know. So people are all going to want that. And then to those neo-Ladites that I know who are like, well, we got to stop paying attention to the computers. you got to stop paying attention to the in Internet. You know, you're surrounded by this. And you can't sit at the dinner table with most people, without their conversation being informed by the things I'm talking about. 
Yeah, if you go to the county fair with a group of people, you're in the moment. You can still be in the moment and experience the real world, especially if you hang out with the right people. But it doesn't change the fact that our culture is being greatly influenced by these shared online platforms. And as I say time and time again, I'm not against them. I'm not against these things. I'm not against phones. I'm not against the internet. I'm not even against social media. I recognize that these things, these platforms are a manifestation of what already exists inside of us. That desire to be cool and to be liked is something that we already have in us and we bring with us everywhere we go. And some people have transcended it, often on a momentary, temporary basis. And just like the slogan, like, I'm through being cool, is a trick. And actually an attempt to be cool in saying that. Just when you think that you've transcended the desire to be liked, accepted, and cool, that's when you find yourself doing something to be liked, accepted, or cool. And so there's really no escape from that. We like the feelings that go along with acceptance. And when we've been accepted, we want more than that. We want to be elevated a little bit more. We want to be thought of as cool. And so all of this stuff is in us to begin with. So of course it plays out in all of the different ways we express ourselves and communicate. And so I'm not going to demonize people for doing what is natural to us and what is inescapable. But deep down, you know if you are blowing in the wind. And it's not that you should never, you know, waver. It's not that, I mean, I talk on here about I wake up one morning and I have one opinion on something And by the end of the day, I have a completely different opinion on it. Then I go to bed and I wake up and guess what? My opinion's different again. I'm a flip-flopper. Heck yeah, I'm a flip-flopper. My opinions change on an hourly basis and then they go back and then they come back. And, you know, while I hold true on some ideas, you know, it's not that the wind doesn't affect me, but it doesn't cause me to go like stumbling in the complete opposite direction of where I was. It doesn't make me suddenly start saying y'all. Because the wind started blowing really hard from a certain direction, I don't suddenly change the way I talk and act like I always talked that way or act like I always believed this. And again, I don't say this in an attempt to seem superior or better than anybody else. I say this because it's important to me to be this way. And it does require being conscious, and it does require effort, and it does require you to be true to yourself. And when you're true to yourself, you can enjoy the wind when it blows in your direction and know that you're not going to be like in some ultra windstorm sliding across the room because it's cartoony when when that happens you know it, when it happens in real life when there's you know a a windstorm that you know 80 88 mile an hour winds 
and you see somebody you see a, a new you see a journalist like uh on camera getting like i don't know <laughs> getting blown across a parking lot we're just showing you how strong the wind is you know that kind of cartoony stuff happens in real life, you know, because my, my new thing is, you know, all about we created such and such in man's image. We created computers in, imi- in man's image. We created cartoons in man's image as well. Yeah, cartoons are an exaggeration. They're a caricature, but it's still the same world. We're still, we're still showing how our world works in a more extreme way. And uh, when I see people get blown by the socio-political or cultural wind and they get suddenly blown across the room to me they look more like a cartoon character than a, a real human being they become a caricature and I think we have enough resources available we have enough ideas available that we don't have to be caricatures Especially, you know, just, ah, man, I don't know. I don't know how to close this one out. There's, there's been a lot in here. But uh, I guess what I'm talking about is parody. P-A-R-O-D-Y. You know, when I feel that people become caricatures, when I feel that they become parodies, it's disappointing. And I don't want to become that myself. Unless it's in a fun way. And I feel that politics and the direction that culture has gone create parodies out of human beings. And you know what they're going to say and you know how they're going to say it. And you can often tell before they even say anything just based on what they look like. You know, you can tell from the color of someone's hair to their style of haircut to the clothes they're wearing before they even say anything, they're a parody. I don't say this as a cheap shot. I don't say this to kick them in the shins again. I'm kicking a lot of shins here. Kicking you in the shins. Um, I don't say this to kick anybody in the shins, but it's like, you know, uh, I guess I just I don't want to I don't want to live in a world where you look at somebody and you immediately know everything they believe and everything they're going to say about a given subject and not to say some people won't surprise you but I would be very surprised if I met a girl who had the sides of her head shaved, her hair was dyed blue with a top knot. You know, she she had tattoos on her neck and she was wearing mom jeans and if she said to me Trump 2020 I would be shocked if that girl said that and meant it and then she told me well I'm as far as my personal beliefs go I'm a Buddhist Republican you know if a girl who looked like that expressed that in earnest I would be shocked but the reality is Most people are parodies. Not most people. But most of the people who are taking these hardline stances on things are parodies. 
and you know what to expect. They don't even have to say anything or do anything. You know what to expect. That, to me, is a caricature. That, to me, is a parody. And cultural momentum, or wind, as I call it, that's turning more and more people into caricatures and parodies, that can't possibly be cool. So maybe you should be through being cool. Maybe you should be done with trying to gain acceptance from your peers if acceptance from your peers, if acceptance from the youth is turning you into a caricature or a parody. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my